In 1862, the classic novel Les Miserables, written by Victor Hugo, was published. And ever since that published date, that novel has been read by millions and millions of people and been enjoyed, enjoyed by them. Now, if you're not a reader, the novel Les Miserables was made into a movie. It's also in a play form. In fact, this next spring, it's coming to DeVos Hall. Now, it's an interesting story. It is a powerful story of mercy and redemption. The main character in the novel, in the story, is a man by the name of Jean Valjean. That just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Jean Valjean. Well, Jean Valjean experiences, he experiences the power of mercy in his life. In just a minute, I'm going to show you a movie clip from the Liam Neeson version of Les Miserables. But before I do, I'd like to set the stage. Jean Valjean has just been released from serving 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his sister's starving family. 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. He leaves prison a bitter and upset man. And when he leaves prison, he has no place to stay. He has no place to go. But a kind bishop takes him in and gives him food and gives him shelter. That's where we pick up the story. Isn't that amazing? It moves me every time I watch that scene. The amazing mercy of the bishop. It's quite overwhelming. And it was overwhelming for Jean Valjean as well. The mercy of the bishop causes a spiritual crisis for Valjean and a spiritual transformation. Jean Valjean goes on to uh, accept and create a new identity he finds himself in a new town and he, he begins to build and live a new life. He starts a business and the business thrives and has great impact on the town. He becomes the mayor of the town. He then goes on to use the purpose and the influence in the business to, to start a hospital, to improve schools, and to take care of poor people. Jean Valjean is impacted by great mercy and because of the impact and the gift of great mercy that the bishop gave to him, he in turn extends mercy to other people. But Jean Valjean isn't the only character in the story. There's another character by the name of Inspector Javert. And Inspector Javert is in pursuit of Jean Valjean because Jean Valjean had committed another minor crime. Well, Inspector Javert figures out the new identity of Jean Valjean, and he continues to pursue Jean Valjean. In a little bit of a spoiler, Inspector Javert is never quite able to understand mercy or to extend mercy to anyone else. And as a result, he experiences an existential crisis. But I don't want to give away the rest of the story. You should read the book or watch the movie or go see the play. It's an incredible, powerful story of mercy. 
But it's more than just an incredibly powerful story of mercy. There's something about a good story that hooks us into the story. But there's something more about a truly good story. Because I think what causes us to identify with a good story is or are the characters of the story. When you and I are able to resonate with the characters in a story, it ends up causing us to like that story even more. And this is what I believe happens in Les Miserables, is you come to identify with the characters in the story. And maybe you're here this morning and you're able to identify with the bishop. Maybe you're a person who demonstrates mercy in their life, that you living your life, you, maybe you have the gift of mercy from God and you are able to share mercy with other people. Or maybe, and I don't know that any one of us are going to admit this, maybe you're more likely to identify with Inspector Javert. And mercy is a difficult concept for you to understand, and it's typically difficult for you to extend mercy. But my prayer this morning, my prayer this morning is that each one of us here, each one of you listening to me this morning, including myself, we will be able to identify with Jean Valjean. As we continue this morning in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, I pray that we will be able to identify with Jean Valjean, that we will be able to understand that we have been recipients of great mercy. And as a result, you and I, we will be able to give to others great mercy. Because this morning, Jesus says to you and Jesus says to me, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If you would, would you take your Bible and would you open it up to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. It's on page 786 in the Bible that the church provides. This morning, we're continuing the study in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're specifically in the section of the Beatitudes. And this morning, we come to an interesting transition in the Beatitudes. Remember last week, I said that the Beatitudes are statements of identification, instruction, and blessing. That if we're born again, we are going to demonstrate these characteristics in our lives, and we're going to live them more and more fully in our lives. Now, the key here is to understand that we do not get to pick and choose which beatitude we want to live or which beatitude may align better with our personalities. The beatitudes, all of the beatitudes, are meant to be lived out by all followers, by all believers in Jesus Christ. As believers in Jesus, these beatitudes teach us that we are to be poor in spirit, recognizing our lack of righteousness before God. Number two, we're to mourn over sin and brokenness. Three, we become meek, humbling ourselves and submitting to God's leading. And then these first three beatitudes lead us to hunger and to thirst for righteousness so that we can be filled. Now we come to a turning point in the beatitudes. The first four Beatitudes focus primarily on our relationship with God. The last four are outward manifestations of the inner change that happens to us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
So the last four Beatitudes generally refer to how we treat others. You see, as we hunger and as we thirst for righteousness, God calls all of us to be merciful. He calls all of us to be pure in heart. He calls all of us to be peacemakers. And as a result of that righteousness in each one of us, we end up being persecuted for following Jesus Christ. Now, if you're having trouble with being merciful, with being pure in heart, with being a peacemaker, with dealing with persecution, if you have trouble with those four Beatitudes, there is a call to go back to the first four Beatitudes and to allow God to work on your relationship with him. So now let's jump into this, the fifth Beatitude. It's the first Beatitude in this second section of the Beatitudes, and it primarily deals with our relationship with other people. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown merciful mercy. To be merciful means to be full of mercy. Jesus is calling you and he's calling me as his followers to be full of mercy. Mercy means to feel the pain of another person so deeply that you are moved to action to care for that person. Let me say that again. To feel the pain of another person so deeply that you're moved or you're compelled to action to help that person. In the Les Miserables clip, you could see on the bishop's face the feeling. You could see, you could sense he saw and he understood the pain of John Valjean. And he moved then to action to help Jean Valjean. The 20th century Scottish theologian William Barclay wrote this, Mercy is the concept, it's to get inside someone's skin until we see things with his eyes, think things with his mind, and feel things with his feelings. To move in and act on behalf of those who are hurting. Do you see the general concept of understanding or feeling or associating with someone else's pain? to get inside someone's skin until we see things with their eyes, until we think things with their mind, until we feel things with their feelings. And then that causes us to jump into action to help someone who is hurting and in pain. You see, mercy is more than just feeling compassion. It requires action, which means demonstrating compassion. Now for us, sometimes it's a bit difficult to wrap our minds around the concept of mercy, and especially for those of us who have been in the church for a long time, because what we do a lot of times when we think about mercy is we combine it with the concept of grace. So we talked often about the God who demonstrates his mercy and his grace, and sometimes we end up using those two words synonymously, when in reality they are actually two distinct concepts. So it's important to understand the difference between mercy and grace. 
Mercy is feeling the pain of someone else. And once we feel that pain, we're caused to move in action to help relieve that pain. Grace, on the other hand, is a demonstration of a gift that is over and above what could be deserved. It's the idea of giving something more than. This past week when I was studying, I came across a chart that I think is really helpful as we kind of distinguish between mercy and grace. There's a column on the screen. There's a column for mercy and there's a column for grace. And I'm gonna quickly run through this a minute. When we think of mercy, mercy is God's solution to man's ministry. Grace is God's solution to man's sin. Mercy removes the pain. Grace covers the sin. Mercy does not give us what we deserve. Grace gives us what we do not deserve. Mercy is undeserved favor which forgives sin. Grace, unearned favor which saves us. Mercy deals with the symptoms of sin. Grace deals with the cause of sin. Mercy offers relief from the punishment. Grace offers pardon for the crime. Mercy eliminates the pain of the disease. Grace cures or heals the disease. Mercy, regarding salvation, it says no hell. Grace, regarding salvation, says heaven. Mercy says, I pity you. Grace says, I pardon you. Mercy and grace are distinct, but obviously both are beautiful. Mercy means to see and feel the pain of another and act to relieve that pain. Blessed are the merciful. But to fully understand mercy, we have to look at God himself because he is where mercy starts. Mercy starts with God. In Les Miserables, the bishop is really a picture of God. He is demonstrating to John Valjean and to each one of us who engage in the story the mercy that God demonstrates to you and to me. Mercy starts with God. It is clearly not a product of nature. If you look at a documentary on Netflix, look at a wildlife documentary. You ever watch a wildlife documentary? Either on Netflix or someplace else? Lions. Do lions have any mercy? No mercy. How about a hyena? Hyenas? No mercy. Mercy is not a product of nature. Mercy is also not a product of men or women. Think about throughout history. Over and over again, men and women do not naturally demonstrate mercy. Romans, during the time of Jesus, thought of mercy as a disease of the soul. It was not a virtue for Romans. Romans were all about discipline. They were all about structure. They were all about absolute power. And mercy was clearly not within their realm or their list of virtues because they looked at mercy as a supreme weakness. And when we think about the world we live in, is it really all that different? Like we give a lot of lip service to mercy as a virtue. 
But really, when we look around, we recognize that mercy does not originate with men or with women. It doesn't appear or seem by the great weight of evidence to be something that naturally we demonstrate for one another. So I think in a lot of cases, we too look at mercy as a great weakness, not God. You see, mercy starts in the person and in the character of God. It doesn't start with nature. It doesn't start with men and women. Mercy resonates. Mercy flows out of the person and the character of God. This past week, as I was thinking about different stories in the Bible that may demonstrate that mercy resonates with God, the, the story of the people of Israel, of God's very own people being slaves and entrapped in Egypt came to mind. Think about the people of Israel. They've gone into Egypt. Joseph brings them into Egypt eventually to have blessing and to have favor because of a famine that's in the land. And they come in, but over time, over hundreds of years, they end up becoming enslaved by the people of Egypt. And while they're there, they gripe and they complain and they're bitterly disappointed with their lot. And clearly, they don't deserve any benefit from God. Their behavior is, is not that remarkable not remarkable for being good, but God, because he is merciful, not because the people of Israel deserve it in any way, but because he is merciful, he decides that their time in Egypt is up and he wants to have them released from Pharaoh. So he calls this guy named Moses and Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh, after a period of time, ends up letting the people of God go. And they're freed. They're, they leave slavery in Egypt. And what was interesting to me as I thought about this story is God demonstrates his mercy to them before he gave them the law. Before they experience his law through the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, he demonstrated his mercy. Mercy came before the law. And then after God had released them from slavery in Egypt and after he had given them the Ten Commandments, he appears before Moses to describe himself using his own words. He calls to describe himself before Moses. And the text says that he passes in front of Moses. And look at how God himself describes himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord God. This is God speaking to Moses. You understand what I'm saying? Not if you understand. I want to make sure you're awake, please. Thank you. This is God himself passing in front of Moses. This is God speaking to Moses. This is what he says about himself. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Do you see it? Twice in this declaration, twice in this self-declaration, he mentions his character of mercy. Two different Hebrew words are translated mercy here. The first refers to tender compassion and the second refers to his steadfast love. Tender compassion and steadfast love. This is what God wants us to know 
about himself. He's an incredible, merciful God. He is full of mercy. And as the story continues, the people of Israel, at times in their journey, are disciplined and loving and respond to God's mercy. And at other times in their journey, they're disobedient and they pursue other gods. And over time, God continues to be faithful to them. But as a result of their disobedience, as a result of their pursuing other idols, difficult things begin to happen to the people of Israel. Other countries, other empires begin to come and take them over. First the northern kingdom of Israel and then the southern kingdom of Judah. And towards the end of what we refer to as the Old Testament, even though they have engaged in disobedience before the Lord and even though they have pursued other gods, look at what the prophet Micah says. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. Look at this next line. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Mercy starts within the person and the character of God. He does not stay angry forever and he delights to show mercy. And there are some of you here this morning that need to experience the mercy of God. And maybe this last week, maybe this last month has not been the best of months for you. Maybe you've been making some poor choices, choices that we would refer to as sinful choices. And you are here this morning, and you are greatly in need of the mercy of God. Maybe you went out last night, and you did things you shouldn't have done, and it started off really fun, and you thought, man, I'm going to run with this, and you just made that decision that this morning is making you feel oppressed and guilty. And you're here in this place, and the oppression and the guilt is almost overwhelming. See, God has brought you here this morning to tell you that he doesn't remain angry forever. It's not that he was happy last night, he wasn't. But this morning he brought you here so that you can experience his mercy. You see, every one of us need to experience the mercy of God. And there are others of you here this morning. There's probably more people in this category you haven't thought about the mercy of God for a really long time. And you haven't thought about the mercy of God for a really long time because in all honesty, now you wouldn't say this to anybody, but in all honesty, you just kind of think you're a really good person. And when you stack yourself up against all the other people out there, you're really, really good. And you think to yourself, maybe it's even subconsciously, you think to yourself, well, you know what? I don't even really need the mercy of God because I'm good. But you know what? God's not happy with that attitude either. Because God even chooses to demonstrate mercy to the self-righteous. I think it's a bit of a West Michigan thing. We tend to think that we're pretty good. It's kind of a church people thing. 
but that pride builds up inside and we come to a point where we think we don't need God's mercy when in reality, it is a demonstration that you and I even need God's mercy more. You see, each one of us, every single one of you, and me included, we need God's mercy. You see, because God looks at us and he sees our pain and he sees our hurt, and he sees the difficulties of life. He sees our sin. And instead of being angry, he chooses to delight in giving us mercy. I believe that God has called us here this morning to experience his mercy. But once we experience his mercy, he calls us to action. He calls us to be merciful. He calls us to demonstrate the mercy we've received from him to other people. And I believe there are two ways that he asks us or calls us to be merciful to other people that he brings into our lives. There are two aspects of mercy. The first aspect of mercy is forgiveness. So if you take your Bible and you turn to Matthew 18... Matthew chapter 18, it's found on page 799 in the Bible that the church provides. This is the first aspect of mercy because once we experience God's mercy, then we are called to demonstrate or extend mercy to other people. The first way that God calls us to extend mercy is through forgiveness. So in this story, one day Peter comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus a question. Look at verse 21, Matthew 18, verse 21. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now with this question, Peter thinks that he's going above what is required. But as Jesus often does, he comes back with an unexpected answer. Verse 22, I tell you, Not seven times, but 77 times. In essence here, Jesus is saying, stop keeping score. There's really no limit. And this, my friends, is Jesus encouraging us towards mercy. And to be honest, it's a bit maddening. Mercy by definition is a bit maddening because it's undeserved, it's unmerited, And often, it's unfair. Then Jesus told a story to make sure that Peter understood and to make sure that you and I understand. Verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. The debt collectors bring this man before the king and this man owes an exorbitant amount of money. In fact, if you do the calculation, it is 200,000 years of work. The debt is 200,000 years of work. So what are we saying about this debt? It is essentially an unrepayable debt. There is no way that this man will ever be able to repay this debt. And since he couldn't repay, look what the king says. He ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this point, the servant did what most of us would have done in the situation. He fell to his knees and he begged the king 
to be patient with him, promising to repay the debt. Verse 27 says, the servant's master then took pity on him. That's another word for mercy. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. The king not only set him free, the king cancels the debt. This is mercy. To extend mercy is to cancel the debt. The servant did not deserve the forgiveness. He did not deserve the debt to be canceled. This is mercy on the part of the king. But the story continues. The forgiven man left the presence of the king. Think about his excitement. Think about how he must have felt. 200,000 years of debt lifted off his shoulders. He leaves light, engaging, incredibly excited about the life that he now gets to live without the burden of this debt. But then he went and found somebody who owed him money, a very small amount of money. And instead of canceling that debt, look at verse 28. He grabbed him and began to choke him and demanded that he pay back what he owed. Look what then happens. This man fell to his knees and asked for mercy. And notice the plea is almost identical to the other man's before the king. Be patient with me. I will pay it back. But the response is completely different. Look, verse 30. He had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Can you believe that? He has forgiven 200,000 years of debt. And he is unwilling to forgive a minor debt from another. Can you believe that somebody would do that? Really? After receiving all of that mercy, he shows no mercy? Has the guy thrown into prison? Who could do that? Isn't that really what you and I are capable of doing? Don't we often do really the same type of thing? We're not always good at canceling debts. Thing about mercy is each one of us want mercy extended or given to us. But when it comes to other people, we like the idea or the concept of justice. Did you hear what I said? All of us want to receive mercy. But we want other people to receive justice. Well, the word gets around that this guy who had received this crazy amount of mercy would not cancel a minor debt. The king eventually heard about this and he had the man brought back before him. And the king was understandably very, very mad. Look what happened, verse 32 to 34. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. I don't know if you feel the same way, but to me, this is an incredibly sobering story. Actually, it's more than sobering to me. It's actually a bit scary. 
Because in our lives, there are a lot of times when we receive mercy, yet we ask others for justice. And there are people that come in our lives and regardless of their pleas, we hold on to the debt and we choose not to cancel the debt that's before us. I think there's a test that's implicit in this story. An implicit test. The test is, will you exercise mercy by extending forgiveness? Will you exercise mercy by extending forgiveness? If yes, you pass the test. You're a follower, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If no, please listen carefully. If no, then you must ask whether you are actually a follower of Jesus or not. Because that is the standard that Jesus gives us here. Forgiveness demonstrates that we have been forgiven. You see, if we refuse to be merciful, it's likely because we have never really understood mercy We've never really understood or experienced the mercy of Jesus Christ and the gift of grace that he gives. You see, mercy embraces forgiveness. The second aspect of mercy is to demonstrate active compassion. The second way we show mercy to other people is through active compassion to those who are in pain. And Jesus gives us the perfect illustration of mercy in action. So if you would, would you turn to Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10, it's on page 843. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. A lawyer asked Jesus about eternal life, and Jesus gets the lawyer to ask him the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus then tells him a story about a man who is going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now we read this story, or we've heard this story a lot of times, but do you understand what happens here? In this story, a priest, a religious man, comes, sees the injured, sees the wounded, sees the beaten and robbed man, and he walks by. An even more religious man, a Levite, comes and he sees the same man. He sees the man on the side of the road, clearly in distress, and he walks by. I wonder at this point if you are feeling a little bit of conviction. Do you see yourself in this story? You know what, this past week I saw myself in this story. I'm writing this sermon and there's one day that I'm over by Chick-fil-A down on south the belt line from us and I come out of Chick-fil-A and I come to the, the corner and I'm gonna turn right to go north on the belt line to come back here to the office. And right there as I come up and I stop, I'm driving up, I'm, I'm studying for this message. And I'm driving up and there's a guy right there 
And he has his sign, and his sign says, help for food. And I'm thinking to myself, if I just time this right, I'm not even going to have to stop at that stop sign. I know why you're all laughing. Yeah, you're kind of laughing at me. I get it. But you're laughing that nervous giggle laugh because you've done it too. I come up to him and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to time this right. I can kind of blow by. I actually did. I timed it right. Didn't have to stop at the stop sign, blew by. Went about 300 yards and I was like, oh, Lord. You see, I'm the guy that looks at that person and says, well, what did they do to get to this point? What choices did they make? What's that person going to do with the money if I give them the money? You've asked that question, right? You've used that excuse, right? What are they going to do? Oh, certainly they're going to go buy alcohol. Who cares? Really, who cares? God doesn't say be merciful unless they're going to go buy alcohol. You feel it? How many times? Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Of all people, a Samaritan stopped. And if you know the story, you know that Samaritans and Jews do not get along. They do not like each other. And this Samaritan stopped to help this Jewish man. This is being merciful. The Samaritan saw the need, he was moved by the need, and he met the need. Did you hear that? He saw the need, he was moved by the need, and then he met the need. And he didn't ask any questions. He just did it. He saw the need. He was moved by the need. And he met the need. And it came to the point where the question was not, who is my neighbor? But the question became, what kind of neighbor am I going to be? Do you see what Jesus does? You see, we like the idea of receiving mercy. But when we look at others, we think more about justice. And Jesus says, no, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Which brings us back to the beatitude itself. Turn back to Matthew 5, verse 7 in closing. Matthew 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Did you notice that this beatitude begins and ends with mercy? It begins with mercy, and it ends with mercy. This is the only beatitude where the promise is the same as the condition. This is a principle of reciprocity. What you give, you will get back. This happens often in the Bible. There are verses, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given unto you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And do you notice present in each one of those verses is the concept of mercy. 
You see, the more that we understand and extend mercy to others, the more we receive mercy back in return. And it's not that you're earning mercy because you can't earn it because it is an undeserved gift from God. It is unmerited. It is undeserved. There is nothing you can do to get mercy from him except there is this promise that says that he is going to be more merciful if you extend mercy. And the more mercy he gives you, and when you recognize that he has given you mercy, it causes you to respond with more mercy. But the predicate is that you have to understand that you have been given mercy that you have been forgiven. You have to understand that when you've been in need, somebody has shown up for you and demonstrated mercy. And when you experience that mercy, it causes you to extend mercy, which causes God to actually give you more mercy. You see, the scene from Les Miserables is so powerful because the mercy is so palatable. You see the mercy in and through the bishop. And when you see him come and interact with those policemen, you know, you see and you experience, you're like, it is overwhelming. The bishop is like God. But what God does through Jesus Christ is he calls each of us, each of us, none of us are an exception to this rule. He calls us to be merciful, full of mercy for the people that he brings into our lives. So I have three kind of takeaways. First one is another plea. If you are here this morning and you need the mercy of God, he's here he does not stay angry for long, but he delights in giving you mercy. You may be here and you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and for some reason, God brought you here this morning. He brought you here to tell you he is a merciful God and he does not want to give you what you deserve. He wants to extend his grace, the gift of salvation to you but we tend to think we're pretty good. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, I took too much of it. But Lord, you have been hopefully speaking to all of us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you will do a work in each one of our hearts to make each one of us more merciful Lord, help us to see the needs of others. Help us to cancel debts. Lord, help us to live our lives for Jesus Christ. And we pray and we ask this in his name. Amen.